0: Hello again and welcome to another episode of the Ominous Origins Podcast with me, Casey. Of course, this episode is still brought to you by the wonderful people over at MorbidlyBeautiful.com. Morbidly Beautiful has all your horror needs, from interviews to top ten lists, reviews, and everything in between. They also have a great library of podcasts, so go check that out after you finish listening to this episode here. So last week, we looked at Lavinia Fisher, and guess what? This week we are too. How exciting, even if you're sitting there thinking, why is this two parts when the first one was so short? Well, that's an excellent question. Lavinia's story has some twists and turns beyond what I told you last week. And while some of the chilling tales that involve lovely Lavinia are from beyond the grave, I'll also be touching on another wicked woman from the olden days later on so buckle up ominous ominous it is an adjective sounds like someone breathing ominous ah yes the lovely lavinia remember her of course you do but if you're listening to this out of order for some reason here's a quick recap Lavinia and her husband John ran a hotel, the Six Mile Wayfair House, outside of Charleston, South Carolina, where they drugged, robbed, and presumably killed hundreds of men on their travels. They were indeed hanged for their crimes, despite never admitting any guilt to any of it. Okay, caught up? Great. Now keen observers will notice that I said presumably murdered men, while remains of the men were found on the property during the big investigation, it wasn't hundreds, as the legend would have you believe. And last week, when I used the phrase, found remains, it was vague on purpose, so I could hit you with a twist this week, ha ha! So the remains that were found were articles, like clothing and wallets and stuff like that, not actual human remains, While there were a few bodies dug up on the property, they were never actually linked to the fishers and could have possibly been there long before they established their hotel. Also, this is important. They were never found guilty of murder, only robbery. So why were they hanged? Well, back in the day, highway robbery was a hangable offense. And apparently hangable is a word as it's not being highlighted by my word processor. Hmm. Anyway, in the end, the couple got their just desserts, regardless of being found guilty of murder or not, which I'm sure they actually did. Kill people, that is. I mean, Mr. Peoples, the guy from last episode, did say he saw his floor open up and his bed swallowed whole. There's no way to survive that. And even if the men didn't die, where the hell are they? I think if you convict of robbery, you also have to convict for murder, too. But hey, that's just me. I guess there is a little thing called evidence and whatnot. Fine, whatever. There is one last twist, though. Perhaps Lavinia wasn't America's first serial killer. Not if she was never convicted of murder. That honor might just fall to another wicked woman by the name of Jane Topan. So, now that all the living version twists of Lavinia are out of the way, let's look at her legend from beyond the grave. It really shouldn't be a shock at this point that when bad people die, especially under particularly dramatic circumstances, they tend to stick around. Say what you will about the devil not wanting their souls or what have you, but it always seems to be the worst people who linger after death. I mean, how many prisons are claimed to be haunted? Exactly. So, rumor has it that Lavinia and even John have decided to haunt the old jail in Charleston. Let's look at a little bit of the history of the building first, though. The first structures on the land were built in 1783, and it was used as a workhouse for runaway slaves and a haphazard hospital for, quote, paupers, vagrants, and beggars. God, don't you just love early U.S. history? It's just full of charm and, well, horror. Naturally, when you have the societal outcast like that being held there, people are going to be jailed, and so the building tripled as a jail before the old jail was actually erected. It seems as though this chunk of land was destined to hold prisoners. In a nice touch, the criminals were actually kept separate from the non-criminals, so there's that, I guess. Continuing on with the death and gruesome nature of this site, people were not just jailed, but punished via whippings, brandings, starvation and dehydration, and other tortures before ultimately being executed. Here's a wonderful example of what they did to horse thieves. I guess that's like the equivalent of stealing a car nowadays, which comes with what, community service? No, not horse thieves though. Their ears, yes, their ears were nailed to a post for God knows how long before being sliced off completely. You know, I think Disneyland might learn a thing or two from this place. I mean, it sounds like a blast. Over the years, many a building and structures were built and demolished on the site. But in the grand old year of 1802, it became the Charleston County Jail, or later known as the Old City Jail. And it remained as such until 1939. When it was originally built, it consisted of four stories, topped with a big old octagonal tower. Of course, the building expanded over the years to accommodate the more prisoners, because the U.S. loves nothing more than incarcerating people. And even more towers were added. It's fun. It's pretty, I guess. Unfortunately, in 1886, a massive earthquake hit and much of the towers were badly damaged. As I mentioned, the building and land in general has been used for a boatload of things over the centuries, including obviously a jail and hospital, but also an asylum, which saw hundreds of people over the years. In the early 1800s, it was used to jail pirates, which is kind of cool, I guess, but much less cool, it was the main prison for the Vessi Revolt. This is a sad bit of history, so if race and slavery triggers you, well, skip ahead a bit. I don't know how long, but you'll figure it out. It was Denmark Vesey, and he was an African-American leader in 1822. And he was attempting an insurrection against the slave owners of South Carolina. He called for the free black men and women to help their brothers in chains to break free. His plan consisted of the slaves rising up, killing their owners, And taking control of charleston sadly the owners caught wind of it and put a stop to it before it could start 67 men were convicted and 35 hanged for the planning and many of them spent time in the old county jail there's more to the story but it's just too depressing even for this podcast Uh, lastly i suppose i should mention that during the civil war many soldiers were also held on the grounds as prisoners Suffice it to say, this place has one hell of a history, and it's claimed that Lavinia haunts the condemned halls. Some even say she was spotted immediately following her hanging. Her face could be seen behind the bars of various windows, and an apparition of her could be seen moving to and fro. Yes, I said to and fro. Deal with it. One fascinating bit of information stems from that earthquake in 1886 when the towers were damaged. People claim they could see her spirit wandering the fields around the old jail, the cemetery nearby where she was presumably buried, and even in some of the local neighborhoods. Maybe the earthquake freed her link to the place. Maybe people are just easily spooked and fooled by some mist. We'll never truly know for sure. But if you really want to know how terrible a place this was and the whole slavery thing didn't do it for you, It was meant to hold no more than 128 prisoners. However, oftentimes it would hold more than 300. Just think about that for a moment. It's like getting on an elevator with a max person count of 12, then being jammed in with 30 of your not-so-closest friends. Will it hold? Will it plummet? Will you die? Who knows? To top it off, the cells were often barely big enough to hold a single person, and multiple people were being held in them. It was bad. Disease was obviously running rampant throughout the halls, and the sanitary conditions, well, there weren't any. During its run as a prison and hospital and poorhouse and everything else in the 137 years that it stood operational, it's estimated that upwards of 10,000 people died on the land. If that ain't prime haunting land, I really don't know what is. The doors to the jail closed in 1939, and it sat as nothing more than a condemned structure until 2000, when it was acquired by the American College of Building Arts, in an effort to save it. Or something. Well, it was actually to save, quote-unquote, America's treasures. It was a project of the National Trust for Historic Preservation. Yeah, I'm just gonna let that sink in for a second. Yeah, a building with a history of incarcerating and murdering slaves... A jail where people were tortured and crammed into cells like sardines and a can, and a place where over 10,000 people died. National treasure. Save it. Now, you'd think a normal, sane person would be like, well, burn it to the ground and forget everything about it. But nope. Goddamn national treasure. Okay. Now, naturally, spooky-ass shit started happening during the restoration process. It looks like Mrs. Lavinia Fisher's specter had some friends. In 2000, one of the first reports occurred when workers were finding footprints in the dust after the building had been locked down due to a lead paint contamination. Seriously, why is this building still a thing? It seems downright cursed. It hadn't been open for 60 odd years and the first thing that happens is poison? Christ, some people don't learn especially the Bond villain behind the restoration of this place. And being a Bond villain, he has one of two goals, world domination or money. This one wanted the latter and opted to open the newly founded haunted poison-laced centuries-old prison to haunted tours. Smart. But in terms of ghosts and ghouls, some of the reported observations include a jailer with a rifle on the third floor whose apparition has been seen passing through the cell doors before vanishing. Others have seen a black fella in raggedy clothes wandering around the halls with no direction or purpose. And of course, we have the most famous ghost of all, Lavinia Fisher, who can be seen wandering the halls in her wedding dress. Remember the one she got hanged in? Yeah, that one. She's also reported to be seen as bright white and red, which is all kinds of creepy actually. Other phenomena is pretty standard. Footsteps, noises, mechanical sounds like that of a dumbwaiter being activated even though it hasn't been moved in hundreds of years, and alarms are being triggered by the spirits as well. While many have seen and heard things according to others, their experiences seem to be a little more visceral. Some experience crazy things like choking and shortness of breath, especially near the main staircase. Others claim to have been touched, poked, prodded, and grabbed, Some even have been scratched, which was evidenced on the show Ghost Hunters, where one of the cameramen complained of a burning sensation, which was revealed to be scratches upon investigation. Not sure if it's important or not, but the cameraman in particular was a skeptic. I guess he's not anymore, but he was. All in all, the Old City Jail, as it's now called, is a terrible place and shouldn't exist, but it does, and it's supremely haunted. And, in my opinion, cursed to its core. But I'm not the Bond villain that wanted to open it, so I guess my opinion means poo. Sorry, I'm just kind of bitter and jealous that I'll never get to own a haunted and cursed building. Especially a prison, I know, it's sad. However, with all that said, and all the ghouls and specters out of the way, I mentioned a little name earlier. It was kind of in passing, so I forgive you if you've forgotten it. Jane Toppin was the name, and killin' was her game. While Lavinia was believed to be the first female serial killer in American history, she was never actually convicted of murder. And therefore, it's possible, though unlikely, that she wasn't the first lady serial killer in the U.S. of A. But if not her, then that honor belongs to Jolly Jane Toppin, as she was often called. Well, let's find out why, eh? Jane was born being named Honora Kelly on March 31, 1854 to a couple of Irish immigrants in Boston. Where else, being Irish and all? Her mother died sadly when she was just a little girl of tuberculosis. And her father was, of course, you guessed it, an abusive alcoholic. It's literally the start of every serial killer story ever. Apparently he was a well-known eccentric too at least that's what i'm reading here but not the fun kind of eccentric abusive alcoholic as he was nicknamed kelly the crack as in crackpot fun story about daddy kelly he supposedly lost his mind and went legit batshit crazy and rumor had it that one day while working as a tailor he decided to stitch his eyelids shut What a great influence on a young girl whose mother died when she was, well, a little girl. Parent of the year goes to, well, not Peter fucking Kelly, that's for sure. Though it wasn't long until Peter actually did the right thing and surrendered his kids. He had another daughter called Delia Josephine, and he surrendered them to the Boston Female Asylum, which was basically an orphanage. It is important to note here that the records of the surrender were found, and it mentions that the girls were rescued from a very miserable home. Well, no shit. Crackpot Peter with his eyes sewn shut probably wasn't the best dad in the world. It does seem that misfortune and mental instability ran in the family bloodline. While there is no other records of the girls while in the asylum, it's believed that Delia went into prostitution, and their older sister, Nellie, who wasn't surrendered to the orphanage, was committed to an insane asylum. Honora was never formally adopted, but was placed as an indentured servant, in the home of Mrs. Anne C. Topin, and Honora eventually became known as a Topin, too. Perhaps Honora's life was changing for the better. Sure, she was a servant, but the family seemed to treat her well. They had a daughter, with whom Honora got along, and she even ended up training to become a nurse, which seems to be a boatload better than being in an orphanage in the 1800s. In fact, it was while training at Cambridge Hospital that she was given the nickname, Jolly Jane, due to her friendly and outgoing nature. However, as you might have guessed, Jane, or Honora or Jolly Jane, or whatever you want to call her, wasn't as sweet as she outwardly appeared. While tending to her favorite patients, the ones who were often quite old and ill, she would run little experiments on them with morphine and atrophine. She would alter their prescribed dosages just to see what it would do to the person, specifically their nervous system. Not only that, she would alter charts to ensure that they were prescribed the wrong medication, having them drift in and out of consciousness, and even getting into bed with them. Oh, so jolly. Turns out her deeds went completely unnoticed and she was recommended to work at the Massachusetts General Hospital, which was quite the honor back in the day, and maybe even now too, I don't know. But in 1889, it was the highest honor she could hope for. And yes, before you ask, she killed while working there too. And it seems the administration found out and eventually fired her just a year later. Man, she couldn't even wait a year before killing? I mean, that makes it super easy for people to figure out. Why we have a 100% survival rate. Good job everybody. Jolly Jane tend to miss Francis over here, would ya? What? She's dead already? Hmm. Well then, how about taking a look at Miss Johnson? Oh, well, she's dead too. Uh, you're fired? Despite being fired from the general hospital, she did return to Cambridge, which was very short-lived and like many of her patients for recklessly administering opiates. When nobody would have her, she started a successful career as a private nurse. (laughs) Ha ha! Nobody to check on her while she was her own boss. She's bucked the system, made a fool of everyone. Though people were complaining that she stole from them. So I guess she can't commit the perfect crime after all. While working as a private nurse, without those pesky people making sure she's not killing anybody, she began to kill people. How about that? In 1895, her poisoning spree began with her killing her landlord, Israel Dunham, and his wife. Again, she was a direct link, what with him being her landlord. Again, not super smart, but she got away with it for a time. For her next murder didn't come until 1899. Four years later, when she poisoned her foster sister, Elizabeth, with Strike 9, which is a pesticide that kills via asphyxiation. In 1901, she became a live-in nurse with Alden Davis and his family to tend to him after his wife's passing. That was a mistake. But how was he to know that shortly after moving in, she would not only kill him, but his sister and two daughters? Thankfully, though, the Davises had a large family and Jane wasn't able to get them all, and the remaining members of the family ordered a toxicology report on Aldest's youngest daughter, Minnie. Of course, the report found that she'd been poisoned. And of course the police suspected topan why wouldn't they all they have to do is run a background check and it should basically say killed everybody she's ever met it didn't take long really for the police to arrest her and on october 29th 1901 she was indeed arrested by 1902 she had confessed to 31 murders 31 is up there man that's a lot of people and she would have committed more murders given the chance, as she was quoted as saying her greatest ambition was to, quote, have killed more people, helpless people, than any other man or woman who ever lived. Hefty and truly ambitious, considering people like Genghis Khan and Vlad the Impaler had already come and gone by this time. But I guess she means straight-up serial killer? Even if the term hadn't even been coined yet. So there you have it. Two of the most notorious women killers in early modern history. Think they chat in hell? Lavinia and Jolly Jane? Man, that would be one hell of a conversation. That does it for me today, though. My name is Casey, and this has been the Ominous Origins Podcast. If you like what you heard, feel free to leave a review on iTunes, Apple Podcasts. Any five-star reviews will be read out on the show, so it's the best way to get a shout-out if that's what you're looking for. Follow along on Twitter at HorrorshotsProd, as in production. Instagram at ominous Origins Pod, or Facebook at Horror Shots. There's also a Patreon if you're interested, and a Redbubble store. Links for those are in the description. Until next week.